Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. We are tonight's entertainment. Is that good? Yes, sir! I know who I am! Did IQs just drop shot? I could have been. I have planned. I like this All shit. It is a horse Dance off, bro. It is your Welcome to the Atlantic Screen Connection Podcast. Hello and welcome to the Atlantic Screen Connection with Jason and Lee. I'm Jason. I'm Lee. So how you feeling, man? I am ill as fuck, man. <laughs> Cold or just like food poisoning? Like some sort of flu kind of thing. Oh, I went to the doctor and found out I got asthma. T- I have asthma today. What? It's just <laughs> you have asthma just today, or is it like in general? No, I mean I've had it for a while. I've just been told I have it today. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> it's like the, I, mean, I didn't so, know they could contain it on what on like on one day. Yeah, yeah. It was like I just bam asthma. <laughs> oh boy! All right. Yeah. So. How about you? Uh, I've been good. I've started, like I said last week or the week before, I don't remember. I started teaching again. So I'm just slowly getting more and more disappointed in the students that I have. So, oh, God. I, I think you mentioned this, but I don't think it made the cut of the show last oh. But uh, just just for clar- clarity's sake, I'll say, your poor students, just like I did then. No, my <laughs> poor students. No, actually. I hope they don't listen. <laughs> my students, some of them are really fun. You know, I mean, it, it's really good to see some of these people, like they're, they're young, bright minds, and they're going to be, you can see that they're going to be something when they grow up. Like they have a head on, and they're going to be going forward, and, you know, contributing to society in a meaningful way, like we do with our podcast. And yeah, exactly. That's exactly <laughs> what we do. <laughs> and, but there are others out there that you're like, I wonder how your parents look at you and say, I'm proud. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> if only there were a song in today's subject that dealt with parenthood. And where the blame should lie. Hum. Hum? Hum. Yeah, this is me. These are ponderous noises. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I'm not saying, I'm not demanding you hum the tune. What is the tune? <laughs> I don't even know what the fuck you're talking about. It's one of the fucking Oompa Loompa songs. We're talking about Willy Wonka this week. Oh, man. <laughs> oh, right. I forgot to introduce the show. I just did. So, welcome to episode six. We're going to be talking about Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory, the 1971 version, the only version that exists in my opinion. Not in my opinion, but not but only because I like comparing things to inferior products. <laughs> you know, the 2005 version, although it does stick closer to the source material, yeah. I don't know. Johnny Depp is just so fucking weird in that goddamn movie. No, yeah. It's a, he's, he's a parody of himself now. It blows. Oh, yeah, I, I'll get to talking about it. Cool. All right, so we'll save Lee's opinion for later. <laughs> so other than that, no, I've had fun so far. I'm, uh, I mean, the show's doing well. Uh, I, the writers keep on writing for film faculty. That's, That's great. Right. I've gotten feedback from people on the show. I mean, the guys from In Session literally tweeted us and said we had they had a really fun time listening to the Sing Street episode. So shout out to them. Thanks for reaching yeah, out. Yeah, thanks. We hope guys. that you're gonna we're gonna you're gonna enjoy the Captain America one. We're late to the party, but that doesn't matter. No, no, Our we're opinion. on time to the party. It was the DVD release we were going for. That's right. That's the way we had planned it out before even starting the show. <laughs> I also wanted to give a shout out to uh, Uche. I I hope that's your name, man. I'm really sorry if I'm pronouncing that. But uh, he's a guy that I know from uh, Twitter. So his name is Uchio Bidi. He sent me a nice private message uh, this week saying that he uh, he enjoyed the Sing Street episode and that he liked the fact that Lee and I 
are able to dissect a lot of the details that are in there. And so I wanted to just say thank you very, very much for uh, reaching Super out. Cool, yeah, and and giving us that feedback. You know, uh, we appreciate your comments, although we we always disagree, I guess, with me anyway. <laughs> you know, always disagrees with me. But it's always so fun. So I just wanted to say thank you very much, UJ. I love butting heads with you on Twitter. Uh, and yeah, just keep up the, 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 the banter. I mean, I really like it. I enjoy having your feedback and all that. And anybody else in the Lazy Sunday movie group that cares to give our show a listen and wants to, uh, to, to get a shout out on the show, interact with us. Listen to the shows and, you know, put your opinions on the tracks and things like that. We're looking forward to talking with you guys so we, we we have so much shit going on right now that we can't always kind of just be in private messages get the messages out there and come talk with us yeah but what i want to get to right now dear sir is have you seen any trailers of interest this week i have <laughs> i asterisk <laughs> i've seen okay <laughs> i've seen three trailers of interest that's the asterisk. Uh, so I'll, I'll burn through them because I, I really don't have a lot to say about them. Uh, the first one is The Promise. Uh, it's got Oscar Isaac in it. I don't know if you've heard anything about it. Uh, it is based on a true story about, from what I can tell, uh, Armenian Civil War kind of thing. I, I, I know very little about this period of time. And the trailer wasn't really about giving us the information it was more about setting the tone of the movie and which is is way better for my understanding so basically oscar isaac has a girlfriend slash wife in a place i I, i'm not sure where that seemed to be pretty anti-armenians and uh it's about their survival in that place. I, I'm not going to say like, I, I really understood where the trailer was going. I'm sure a lot of people are really looking forward to this. It looks well-directed. It looks heavy. There's some suspense in the trailer. I was, I was surprised by that. But as far as things to say about it, I, yeah, I don't really have much to say about it. I like Oscar Isaac and things, so I'll watch it. <laughs> well, from what I understand is that um, it's going to be Hollywood's kind of take a little bit on the... Uh, Armenian genocide at the beginning, you know, so it's set during the Ottoman Empire. So oh. it seems like it's going to be an interesting take on a subject that hasn't gotten that much attention. I would say yes, but because yeah, it I've, seems a little, no. little opportunistic. <laughs> <laughs> I, I always feel that the as much as a lot of informed people give a lot of stick to things that are overrepresenting real life stories right. that people know uh, that a realistically a movie studio is looking at this horrible incident and trying to make money out of it yeah is the ultimate gain i always understand those arguments but at the same time and this is a good one to bring it up i don't know anything about this i don't yeah, think that's a, i know very, anybody very who point. knows anything about this a dramatization of these kind of events are what helps me find out about them in the first instance that then allows me to read further into it. Because I'm not a big reader. I'm not a big historic historical guy. I just sort of learn what I learn as I go along. So this looks like, even if it's just a crash course in the events, and then, you know, I do some real reading and then feel like tearing it apart, fair enough. <laughs> but in the first instance, I can go, well, I, I, I know absolutely nothing about this probably terrible portion of human history and i'm looking forward to finding out a little something <laughs> uh, I'll, I'll say this i'll say that i trust terry george the director because he's right. the one who directed hotel rwanda okay 
And so I think that he did handle Hotel Rwanda in a very fair way. And a lot of people weren't talking about what happened in Rwanda, the genocide that was there. Sure. And it did bring a lot of the issues to the forefront. and It got people talking and whatnot. However, I find it a little bit sad that now no one really is talking about that. And here he comes along with some other genocide and he's going to try to bring that. And how long are we going to talk about this before it's ignored again? I want... I want there to be a discourse. I want there to be a conversation, a discussion about this stuff. If this is the way they're going to start it, then fine. I don't figure it's opportunistic. However, if it's just this one untapped place that Hollywood's getting their hands on, I'll feel a little bit bad because this is a topic that needs to be discussed and it hasn't been done yet. So yeah, I agree with you that it's good that people are going to be aware of it, but people have been aware of it for quite some time. And there are two sides of that. Some people have chosen to ignore it, and some people have been yelling about it. Mass audiences hasn't had the chance. So, okay, I, it's not opportunistic. You made your point. I, I agree with you. It's going to be good for the masses. I, I, I obviously, obviously, I, 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 I sit the middle ground on this. Of course, this is still technically, realistically, opportunism, and it is pretty harrowing and, and terrible how we expect to turn profits on these on these stories. But I get the argument for, I get the argument against. At the same time, I gain, I stand to gain a profit from this coming out. Therefore, that's where I stand in general. Excellent. Moving on yep. to far lighter territory. Uh, Moana? Oh, yeah, the Pixar? Yeah, no, not Pixar. Disney Animated Studios. Oh, well, uh, whatever. <laughs> yeah, so it's, uh, it's a musical set in Hawaii. Uh, features Demi God played by, uh, Dwayne Rock Johnson. <laughs> and it's got Lin Manuel Miranda doing the music with, uh, I assume he's, uh, yeah, he's the guy who did, uh, In the Heights and, uh, Hamilton. So it's big, uh, Tony Award winning Broadway play musicals. It looks good. Uh, it looks fun. I like Disney Animated Studios productions most of the time. Uh, <laughs> I, I like musicals, so I'll probably enjoy it. And I love Hawaiian settings, at least, I loved Lilo and Stitch, which means I'll probably love this wild setting. So, yeah, I'm on board. <laughs> I saw, I think, the trailer a while back, and I, it might have been just a teaser. Yeah, probably. And from the look of it, I have zero interest in this. Yeah, that sounds about right. <laughs> I, I don't care. I don't. I don't care that they need to add a new princess to their to their pantheon of princesses. <laughs> it does. It seems like a part of the Disney template formula for the next princess Disney film. But uh, I've been surprised before. I mean, Tangled only came out in the last five years. It's an amazing film. I agree uh, with that a hundred percent. And, uh, but then I've also been disappointed pretty badly, uh, with Frozen. So, I mean. I agree with that 100%. <laughs> so, that's why, you know, it's pretty, uh, it's pretty all up in the air which way this will land. But the last project they did was Zootopia slash Zootropolis, a film I absolutely love. One of my favorites of the year. Uh, so this studio has a lot of talent and a lot of ways of inverting our expectations for general standard Disney fare. And they keep doing it, and yeah. I kind of hope they do it again. So I, I'm willing to bet that they'll they'll. It's worth at least watching to see if they do. Oh yeah, I mean, it's just like the designs of of the the, the people themselves look kind of corny, in my opinion. I mean, sure. Done a, I don't like I don't like the way that they've drawn the characters. I don't think it's uh, fun. I think it's a little bit strange. Uh, that's interesting. So there's something about how they've characterized the the character designs that has so far put yeah. you off. Interesting. Yeah, exactly. Anyway, reversing right back into uh, not-kid territory, we go to Fifty Shades Darker, 
The last trailer I want to talk about today. My most anticipated movie of the year. Oh, yeah. Matt. Is it coming out this year? I don't know. No, it's not. It's Valentine's Day next year. Thank fuck. Okay, so I, I'm, I'm gonna be I'm gonna be blunt about this. I've seen the first one too many times because I worked in the cinema when it was out, not because I mut- I was interested in watching it. So that's why I knew the character names. When I'm about to talk about the character names, it's not because I'm a big fan. It's just that I know who they are. It's easier to describe them this way. Anyway, Anastasia Steele. <laughs> He's lying. He loves this picture. <laughs> I Before the show, too. he was telling me all about it. It's I so just hot. Exactly. I love the writing. Fifty Shades of Fucked Up. <laughs> just Fifty Shades of Fucked Up. <laughs> uh, yeah, so uh, it looks like Anastasia Steele has got a... I love her name. It's the worst. Uh, uh, it looks like she's got a stalker situation where... This girl who used to be her in this weird sex relationship has come back toward her, and there's some political moves in play. Uh, it, it looks terrible, as to be expected. Uh, it looks like they're trying to have, throw more of a plot at it, which would, you know, be good. But um, I don't see any possible way in which it, re- it can recover. <laughs> as a series, it's grounded in some of just the worst ideas ever. So, um, and I'm not saying that for the sexual content, I'm saying that for the writing and character content. Uh, it's just an embarrassment. Yeah, yeah uh, like, watch the trailer. If if it looks like the most exciting Fifty Shades story ever, I, I'm going to still say probably don't watch it. It's going to be terrible. <laughs> hey, I want to put this out there. Do you want to take a bet? Oh, oh sure. All well, right. What bet? Uh, if the, Do you think the Fifty Shades books are going to be like, I don't know, the future Lady Chatterley's lovers? Are we going to be reading this in college at one point? Is this, you know, is this is this what we want? Are we going to be analyzing these things? Oh, oh, definitely. Uh, but it depends in what level you're willing to do this, Ben. I mean, like, for example, when I was in university studying a lot of books, uh, we did have a course on shit books that we had to read right. to learn a lot about shit books, you know. So, and I mean, those books were pretty much out that week. So, <laughs> you can guarantee, uh, back at, at the university I attended, uh, they're already restudying Fifty Shades. But if you want to say, like, kids and 17, 18 year olds being taught this in, like, on curriculum as to really, really plain stories of the day. Mm-hmm. What time period are you betting? <laughs> oh, How long? It's not. It's, I don't even. I don't even want to frame this as a bet. Then I, I made a mistake. It was just like, do you think? It was more of a, do you think this is going to happen? Oh, then yeah, definitely. Some definitely between the next twenty five, fifty years. <laughs> All right, cool. Kind of interesting then. Any other trailers? No, that's me. What did you see? Uh, I saw one trailer, and I saw the trailer. Uh, I am a huge fan of Jeff Nichols. Uh, Midnight Special is my favorite movie this year. Uh, he's the guy who directed uh, Mud. He's also the guy who directed Take Shelter, both masterpieces in my opinion. And I saw the trailer for his upcoming film that's going to be released, I think, uh, just before Christmas. And it's called... I think it's an Oscar territory. Yeah, it's called Loving. And it's basically uh, about an interracial relationship. There's a white man and a a black woman uh, that fall in love. They want to get married. But in the state that they are in the United States, uh, that is illegal. And so they go out of their way to get married in some other place. um, And then when they come back, the cops find out. And then they go to jail and all that stuff. Um, I, I don't know how I feel about Nichols tackling this type of subject. Not that I'm against the subject. It's just that it feels like a movie I've seen before. Yeah. Uh huh. Oh, definitely. That, that, 
archetype of the forbidden love type thing you know yeah it's not even like uh, yeah yeah well no you're right it is it is forbidden love uh no matter what social context you throw over yeah. the top of, we've definitely seen this story a million times it's it's practically biblical exactly uh, <laughs> yeah I, I, that's how i see it i mean we've had so many like movies like this in the past that i know that nichols is able to frame narratives and, and have these really important themes i mean we've seen it with other movies that he's done in the past I don't know how much this is going to be Oscar Beatty, tearjerker type movie, but watching the trailer, I already didn't feel anything. Yeah. I wasn't interested in the subject matter. Uh, although it's something that I'm usually sensitive to, I was like, well, I've seen this. Why, why would I watch it again? Okay, well, maybe frame it this way. Jeff Nichols doesn't get to direct his own trailers. You're right. Have you ever been sold on a Jeff Nichols trailer before? All three. <laughs> Did you really? Oh, yeah. I, I heard a lot of people watch the Midnight special trailer and didn't get anything from it, you know? I, it caught me. I was like, oh, this looks interesting. It looks different. Looks okay, so your experience this time is coming from the fact that the trailer didn't sell you for once. Yeah, it didn't sell me at all. I mean, I'm going to see yeah. it just because it's Jeff Nichols, and I I, I, I really think that this guy's a talent, and I, I love the pictures that he's made so far. Yeah. yeah. I'm just... Like I said, it's just it's just familiar territory. Sure. I, I feel like we've said everything we needed to say about what this is going to be doing. Uh, but that's my impression from the trailer alone. Maybe the film has other things it wants to deal with. Sure. Uh, but for now, like I'm like, okay, let's see where this goes. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Cautious optimism. Cautious, uh, cautious <laughs> period. Yeah, yeah, cautious. <laughs> cautious period. But that's it. I love Jeff Nichols. And so, like I said, Loving is the trailer I saw this week, and that um, pretty much sums it up. Cool. All right, so we'll leave you guys on a trailer. Which one do you want us to play, Lee? Go for Moana. It's got fun music in it. Excellent. So we're going to leave you guys with the trailer for Moana. Stay tuned. For generations, this peaceful island has been home to our family. But beyond our reef, a great danger is coming. Legend tells of a hero who will journey to find the demigod Maui. And together, they will save us all. of the wind and sea i am hero of men what it's actually maui shapeshifter demigod of the wind and sea hero of men i interrupted from the top hero of men go i'm not going on a mission with some little girl this is my canoe and you will journey to did not see that coming the ocean is a friend of mine First, we've got to go through a whole ocean of bad. <gasps> Kakamora. Kako, what? They're kind of cute. Moana! I got your back. It's Maui time! Uh, really?
blow dart in my butt cheek. We're going to the realm of monsters. Don't worry, it's a lot farther down than it looks. And welcome back. Uh, we're going to talk about what we watched this week. I hope you enjoyed Moana, though, in the interim. Uh, and we're going to go straight to Jason. What did you see, Jason? I saw two things this week. I uh, watched uh, Pat Oswalt's latest comedy special. Yeah. And, oh man, was it ever fun. I really, really had a good time. I laughed uh, the entire time. Cool. I thought it was really, really cool. This is two in a row. Uh, there was one that he had done couple of years back that I was like, uh, I think he, it was called My Weakness is Strong, which I thought was a little bit weak uh, as sure. a show. However, I mean, I, I revisited it in, uh, a little bit and it's still good, but uh, I don't remember the one that's in between these two, but uh, the, the new one, it's available on Netflix. If you haven't seen Pat Oswalt's latest comedy special, oh boy, was it ever a fun time. I really, really had a good, good time. I'm not going to talk about any of the bits that he does here. Except for one that I might mention a little bit later when he talks about, like, um, people are talking about genders and sexuality and, and stuff like that. And how it's very, uh-huh. very difficult to keep up with the terminology. Okay. You know, it's like, give me a chance. I really want to help, you know, but don't give me shit. I'm trying my best to learn <laughs> all of the jargon. But then he gives a, a really good example as to, like, how people who use... The jargon very quickly. People that understand the terms, they're using it for like evil purposes. You sure. know? Whereas if a person that's not necessarily as educated into the, the like how the terminology is supposed to be used, then he might come off as someone who's a little bit uh, misinformed or just kind of dumb sounding, but at least yeah. his intentions are good. So Yeah, yeah. They're just a little behind the curve. Exactly. And I mean, almost every one of us is now because these terms keep changing day after day or week after week, the way he's in the comedy special. And it's true. I mean, I'm a guy who's very open minded. I like hearing about these things. I try to do my best to to understand what people are going through. But Jesus Christ, I felt exactly how he felt like, give me a break. I'm doing my best. I want to learn your terms. But just like, you know. Don't just because I don't say it the right way, don't fucking come down on me. Spare your thoughts for Jason. <laughs> the inept modern man. <laughs> exactly. Uh, but aren't we all at heart? And so <laughs> And so yeah, so Pat Oswalt, yeah. it's this latest one. Uh, it was a really good time if you guys are looking for something to do on a Friday night and uh, I mean all your friends are out and you have to I don't know, stay home with the kid and you know, make yourself a bit of popcorn and feed the kid and all that and sit down and watch Pat Oswalt not with the kid once the kid's in bed but do it with your wife or or your partner or significant other whatever and you're gonna have a really great time I've never seen a I've never seen a Pat Oswalt stand up so oh man uh, that, that sounds good to, to me it, it already great. made me laugh so I mean <laughs> oh yeah man but Pat Oswalt I, I, I like the guy as an actor I've seen him a lot of, in a lot of things so I mean yeah it makes sense. I would watch his. Oh, yeah. He's 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 at his best when he's doing stand up comedy. He's he's the he's Great. one of the king of the nerds. I mean, he's he's uh, you know he can speak to nerd culture in a way that they'll understand. Pat Oswalt definitely one of the guys that I'm, I'm I, I I love very much to listen to his comedy specials. I've seen them all, and I'm going to keep watching. And he keeps cranking them out. I'm going to keep watching. It was a great time. Great. And uh, the second thing I watched uh, was another great time. And this one's going to be a very divisive one, not between us, but between uh, the audience and critics and myself. I watched X-Men Apocalypse. Woo! Yeah! And I had a really great time. Yes. 
Another it's... into the small camp of X-Men Apocalypse apologists. Yeah. <laughs> um, I mean, it's just that it's it's trying so hard to be something big. And at the same time, it, it falls into this Roland Emmerich Emmerich type schlock where you're like, oh, what the fuck is going on? What the hell is Apocalypse? (laughs) What's his plan? I think uh, I I remember after watching it and really enjoying this film. I I watched the the Red Letter Media review of it. I remember Mike saying uh, about it that it's the kind of film with good, pure intention into the filmmaking. It's the kind of schlock that comes from that. You know, it's, it's perfect. You know, it's like, it's (laughs) <laughs> the way he put it, it, it was so true that it was the kind of bad right. movie you could only make if if you yeah if you With tried to make the best movie you could possibly make, and uh, that that, that <laughs> sums it up perfectly. It really is just a film that really tried to be brilliant and just doesn't know how. <laughs> uh, I haven't had a chance to go watch it, so I'll definitely check it out after this recording. But yeah, I mean, I, I loved how there are certain issues in the movie where. They they kind of everything is sort of like mismatched and kind of you know you have this really stupid scene where you're watching you're like what the fuck yeah how the hell did they get away with this and then you'll have a scene that has Magneto in it who is very much his his arc is great until the third act where they kind of drop the <laughs> no, ball to just give up <laughs> <laughs> they just have him he's standing a, he's around been sad enough he's been sad long exactly. enough <laughs> it's just he's just brooding yeah. in this bubble of metal just standing there hovering pulling all the metal from the earth for god oh, knows what so stupid. <laughs> it's just it's so amazing. weird it was the best power rangers <laughs> film i had seen ever <laughs> oh my god it was just so cool but that's it you know and then they, they're dealing with a lot of good things i mean there's a scene with magneto where where he is i won't spoil anything where he's devastated by something that happens to him and like you can see that you know, they're like, wow, there's a lot of thought put into how Magneto gets out of this situation, like how his vengeance manifests, yeah. so to speak. It's somewhere in the middle of the film. And yeah, I don't know. What I think a lot of people didn't seem to understand from this, and I'm, I am going to compare it to Suicide Squad. Wow. It is a train wreck in terms of plot. Yeah, okay. But what X-Men did well is the same thing that Suicide Squad did well, is that they set up all the right characters in ways that were going forward. This was a necessary shitstorm in order to kind of get to the clear where you have like the shot at the end of the film, the characters that are there all look like they belong there yeah, except yeah. for fucking Jennifer Lawrence. Get rid of her. Please. <laughs> I know, man. That, yeah, it's, 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 it's a sort of blemish that they didn't know what to do with, but I like what they did with the rest of the film. I mean, Yes, it's stupid. I mean, it's like a it's like a comic book. It's like a proper comic book adaptation. Well, that's the thing it that I enjoy. The most quintessential X Men film I can think Absolutely. of because it captures yeah. exactly that sort of conflicting, too much going in, too much to talk about, too little time to work it around. Yeah. All the crazy laser fights. <laughs> that shit about X Men is it, that's why it's one of my favorite comics to read. It is just one. It's just always. It's always good intentioned, but always puts action ahead of itself. And oh, yeah. I, you know, I, I can't help but love it for that. And I think Apocalypse did a great job not worrying too much about setting up its brilliant film. And instead, uh, you know, just having fun with the concept, having fun telling the story about these characters and giving them great action set pieces to work with. Uh, oh, yeah. it's no, it's no classic, but it's something that 
I really enjoy. I'm going to be watching year after year. I can tell, you know. It's just something I'm going to put on and go like, oh, I love this stupid movie. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, to me, it has all the makings of a cult film. Oh, where, yeah. Where, you know, uh, it's just stupid enough to be unaware of how stupid it is, but just good enough to warrant the fact that we can revisit it and get something from Definitely. it. Because as you so eloquently put it, you said that it is quintessential comic book movie making. And that's what I enjoyed about it is that it felt like a fucking comic book. It didn't feel like I was visiting a real world. It felt like the characters that I had grown up to love were on screen for the first fucking time. Mm-hmm. I mean, even if I revisit back the 2000 version of, of, of X-Men, I remember seeing the costumes and going, what the hell is this? But at the, at the end of this film, when you see them in costume, you're like, okay, these ones work. I, I can see how this works. What I enjoyed most about uh, X-Men Apocalypse, however, is the fact that uh, the mutant factor isn't that much of an issue. Yeah. It was central to all of the other plots, especially Days of Future Past, you know, when, when you know they were trying to get rid of them with the Sentinels and all that stuff. Here, they kind of highlight it in specific instances, but it's more about the X-Men and not like what the X-Men represent yeah. in society. Fine. I mean, it's a, it's a constantly relevant issue, so they're not going to get rid of it. The best thing to do is tell stories with it as the backdrop. And uh, I think Apocalypse does that really well. Yeah, it was fun. I mean, like I said, Apocalypse himself, what the fuck is his motivation? He's going to cleanse the earth. He keeps saying he's going to cleanse the earth. He's going to form the most awesome metal band of all time. Yeah. <laughs> and I, I, I pretty much have to, like, you know, if he's going to cleanse the earth and, and he's of people, essentially, of evil people, but the strong will survive. And so, yeah, but other than that, I mean, the performances were, were fun. I don't understand why people were complaining about Jennifer Lawrence. She did whatever she had to do, and she delivered her lines well. The only complaint is that she puts on the makeup twice. So anyway, like I said, there are very apparent shortcomings in X-Men Apocalypse. But as an action movie, it delivers. I had fun. It's not taking itself too seriously. And I agree with the guys from Red Letter Media. It's one of those things where they accidentally made a shit movie with all the best intentions. And I loved them for it. I loved... The fact that this movie was what it was because after all the goddamn seriousness of the superhero comic movies that had come out just recently, I think that X-Men Apocalypse was a breath of fresh air. It was fun to just sit down and go like, oh, this is fun. I'm having fun watching this. All right, so that's it. That's what I watched this week. How about you, sir? I I watched, uh, again, like I said, I was sick, so I had to struggle my way to the cinema. So I only got to see one thing when I planned to see a couple. Um, and it was Kubo, Kubo the Two Strings, the 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 Leica the Leica Studios stop motion animation. Right. Uh, I have a whole review for it. Uh, and and uh, our writer at Big Picture Reviews, Darren, has another. He has a, a very lovely review for it. I think he does a better job summarizing why this was such a great film. So I don't want to go too much into it. There's there's plenty of stuff to be reading on this. And especially if you haven't seen it, because uh, I know you haven't, Jason. No. Nope. Uh, I don't want to talk too much and give it away, or spoil it for people who haven't seen it. Because the people who have seen it, they'll get it. And we might come back to it at some point and talk about it a little more. And then those people who want to hear some in-depth conversation, who knows? We might, might tackle it. Who cares? Uh, I think it's one of those films that has no reason to be as smart and as cleverly put together as it was. Uh, I think that if you are bogged into the internet culture of absolute hype and love for this since it came out, 
You can go in with incredible, like, uh, redefining expectations. It's not going to do that. But as far as a animated film that wants to touch on some very personal things in some not very obvious ways, I, I was pretty much blown away by it. I was very surprised with how it handled such mature concepts and even some things like meta narratives. Brilliant. Uh, I, you know, very clever, very interesting. And what it has to say on those, I, I feel that I, I would only be doing a disservice just listing them. But I, I you know, I give Kubo an A. Darren gave it an A plus. It, I, I couldn't disagree with him at all. Personally, preference wise, I just thought it wasn't quite an A plus. But, uh, I, you know, I, I thought that it, it was just a great time. Well worth any money you're going to throw at it. Just, Go see this film, and you'll enjoy it. Most oh, of, most importantly, I've uh, I've only heard I've only heard positive things. Yeah. Uh, now my the only thing that I haven't heard is if I can take my kids to it because apparently it's really intense. Uh, but my kids have, have seen Interstellar. They've seen like Inception. They they're gonna watch Terminator oh, Two. Oh, your kids are fine. Fuck. Uh, right. I would say <laughs> okay. The uh, I would say there's only one thing that jumped out at me as not for kids. Uh, is that, uh, there are these twin sisters, and when they show up for the first time, it is like a straight up horror shot. You know, it is actually like a jump out of your seat, what the fuck am I looking at kind of thing. It was okay. amazing. It was gorgeous. I, I loved the fact it was in this film. It really made a sense for the threat that these characters brought, but I would say it might, for very young kids, it might unsettle them. I'd say for your kids, it's no problem there around like six to the age of six to ten. Past the age of six, your kids are fine. Anything below that, there is possibly a risk of that scene just being so quick, so unexpected, and so creepy all at once that they won't be able to recover, uh, and enjoy the film from that point. So temper that. If, uh, you know, if you know your kids, everybody knows their kids better than obviously anybody else does. So figure it out for yourself what they can and can't handle. But if they can do one surprisingly spooky shot, you'll be grand. The rest of it is pretty plain sailing. All right. So is it a jump scare or is it just a spooky it's not, shot? No, it's not a jump scare at all. It's actually kind of a lingering terror. That's what's great about it. <laughs> oh, shit. Okay. Well, all right. Um, I I was looking forward to seeing Kubo with two, uh, in two strings, but um, yeah, I haven't gotten around to it. All I've heard is positive reviews, so I will definitely get to it. it uh, Leica, Leica seemed to like doing whatever the fuck they want to do, which is great. I love the fact that they have those balls. Uh, yeah, it's 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 a stunner. Uh, only other things, I didn't really have time to watch a lot of films, so I watched uh, more Stranger Things. I, I mean, I rewatched a lot of Stranger Things. Uh, I don't want to talk about it a lot because uh, we, uh, we want to do something with that at some point. Moving swiftly along, we heard news today from my cake show <laughs> that this is going to be the, the final season with, uh, BBC. Oh, well, shit, that's disappointing. Yeah, they're getting bought out by, uh, Channel 4, which is, uh, sort of in the UK, the edgier version of BBC. Bummed out about the news because, uh, that means there's going to be a shakeup in the setup. I don't know, with no adverts on BBC, uh, and no, and that sort of general tweeness of the channel, it always seems so untouched by reality. Mm-hmm. And if it goes to Channel 4, Channel 4 is known for their sort of commercialization of, of their programs. They make some good stuff, definitely, but 
I just, it, it, there's a real, Channel 4 was set up to be the anti-BBC, and they haven't, they've never really stepped off that pedal, you know, right. so the, uh, to see something so obviously twee go to the hands of the people who brought us Big Brother, uh, I don't know, man, you know, I, I, I already heard they're gonna do like a celebrity version, and I couldn't think of anything I want to watch less. Right, okay, yeah, I can see what you're talking about. Yeah, that's that, my I'm week. S- and I'm still not watching Mr. Robot. Yeah. <laughs> but, Is it but over yet? Fun... Is the season over yet? Apparently, from what I've read, you know, a lot of the reviews of season two have been kind of a little bit up and down. Wow, right. So, you never know. This could be, uh, you know, me saying I, I knew it all along. Yeah, that's it. Yeah. <laughs> very, very underhanded of you. What do you think you'll move on to being, uh, to having antipathy for? After Mr. Robot, do you, do you want to talk about, like, season seven of The Walking Dead? Oh, I can't watch that shit. I'm too much of a pussy. My oh, really? Been, something happened to me when I was eight years old. I, when I was watching, I got up from a nap. My babysitter was watching, I think it was Day of the Dead. And I, uh, that's what I learned later in life. And so at one point, there's this blue-faced zombie that gets stabbed in the ear with a screwdriver. And that's been playing in my head for the last <laughs> almost 30 years. Wow. And so whenever I go to bed at night or anything like that, it slowly pops into my head. And apparently, if I rewatch it, it would be something that I would laugh at today. Sure. But I still have that little part of my fractured psychological childhood mind in there going like, no fucking way am I ever going to watch that shit. And so that's it. Anything that's zombies or fucking weird spirits and witches and shit like that, I'm like, nah. Yeah, nah. I'm not against the concept of uh, zombies. I've I even played a Walking Dead game, this this Telltale Story once, and they, it was really good. But uh, this show just looks too slow. Too slow. I don't have time to commit to fucking seven seasons of just zombies, man. <laughs> I don't know. Apparently, they're dropping the ball in the later seasons as well. So yeah, exactly. Um, Play The Last of Us. Oh, I heard about that. Apparently, it's a really good game. It is incredible. The best adaptation of The Road since The Road. <laughs> there you go. All right. Well, that's a very good endorsement. I like that. Excellent. So I guess that rounds up what we saw this week. Did you have anything else? Nope. Cool. Anything you're looking forward to next week? Uh, I, I, I do want to see uh, Anthropoid. Okay. I want to see Sully. I, well, I've heard mixed to good things about it, so I want to see where I land on that spectrum. <laughs> oh, yeah, to me, it's just a movie I'm going to see that it's, it's... I want to see a well-executed movie with a small message in a small format on a big screen. Great. That's all I'm looking for. So, I should be well-served. Excellent. Sure. So, we're going to leave you guys with the trailer for our upcoming feature discussion on Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. Stay tuned. to hear from you. The world is waiting. Can't you shut up? I'm busy. You're a real mean fellow. You never give me anything I want. I won't go to school till I have it. Violet. Call it, Mother. Open it, Charlie. Let's see that golden ticket. Wouldn't that be fantastic? It's not fair to raise his hopes. Never mind. Go on, open it, Charlie. I want to see that gold. Stop it, Dad. 
I've got the same chance as anybody else, haven't I? I never dreamed that I would climb over the moon in ecstasy, but nevertheless, it's there that I'm shortly about to be. Because I've, I've got a golden ticket. I've got a golden chance to make my way. And with a golden ticket, it's a golden day. I'm so glad you could come. This is going to be such an exciting day. <laughs> Little surprises around every corner, but nothing dangerous. Don't be alone. <laughs> There's no earthly way of knowing <laughs> He's singing. which direction we are going. Welcome back. We hope you enjoyed the little trailer for Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. And we're going to be discussing the movie today. Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory was released in 1971, directed by Mel Stewart, and stars Jack Albertson, Peter Ostrom, and the great, talented, and late, late sadly, yeah. Gene Wilder. Gene Wilder, fantastic performance in that movie and Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. But... Not my favorite of his. Mine is See No Evil, Heal No Evil. Oh, really? Oh, yeah, I love that movie so much. I, I love it's that really movie, good. too, but I wouldn't say it's... I, I I prefer his performance than this by a long shot. Oh, okay, yeah. But it's, I'd, I'd say, I'd say Hear no, See No Evil, Hear No Evil is the perfect Gene Wilder character. Okay. But I, w- I would say that this is the better performance. <laughs> uh, okay, you know what? I'll agree to that. Point taken. You're absolutely right. Because, I mean, Willy Wonka would fall apart if it wasn't for him. All right. So we were looking for uh, a movie to talk about. Uh, so we decided... Uh, actually, no, Lee. We were, we were supposed to do another film that I'm not going to mention because I want to keep it a secret. Uh, yeah. It's going to be a fun one. But we were actually looking for something different to talk about, except for new releases. Because, um, I mean... We're in a bit of a down season right now. A lot of the things that are going to be coming out are going to be Oscar movies. And uh, let's face it, sometimes we don't necessarily feel like going to watch these things at the movie theater. They're like yeah. sit-at-home movie type things. And although we will talk about new releases eventually, uh, we, like Lee was talking about it to me this week and said, why don't we do Willy Wonka? 
there was a uh, Gene Wilder retrospective on what network? Actually, TV. So, I mean, I don't even watch TV that often. It might have been ITV3, something like that. Okay. A channel, a UK channel. And so, and, yeah, uh, retrospective on Gene Wilder's career. Yeah, and they so did a bunch of his stuff. You, you basically sent me a message and said, hey, how about we do uh, Willy Wonka? No one's been talking about it lately. Gene Wilder just passed, and we were sad. So, I mean, everybody's got Gene Wilder on the brain, including us, and uh, I thought it would be a very good occasion to visit, yes, uh, a childhood film. I want to know what, what you took away from Charlie uh, Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. Do you feel it's it's dated now? Do you feel like it's still good? Is there something in it that, uh, you know, what struck what struck a nerve? It's kind of hard to say because there was a lot of conflicting emotions when I watched it again okay. for the first time and God knows how long. Like, I haven't seen this since I was properly a kid. But you know it so well, start to finish. Uh, you know, it's one of those kind of films that just, you know, sticks in your mind immediately. You knew every line, basically. Uh, I was, I was more surprised by how well it hold, held up rather than how badly it does hold up. You know, I was surprised how not outdated it is. I mean, it's definitely outdated in a lot of ways. Uh, it's just still so much fun. It's weird. It's creepy. Mm-hmm. It, uh, you know, it's, it's surprisingly dark at times. Uh, it's bizarre. The characters are baffling. They're real kids book characters. Uh, but at the same time, I, there's a lot of little jokes to adults. Um, there's a lot of little nudges and wink, winks. What, what does he say? Candy is dandy, but liquor is quicker. <laughs> 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 Fuck, man. Uh, <laughs> and you know, as a, as a kid, you know, I didn't really listen to the Oompa Loompa songs, but I, I heard them for, I heard all the words for the first time. On this rewatch. Oh, yeah. And Jesus. Uh, I don't know. I don't know if these messages are really meant to, uh, you know, really meant to impart any information, but fuck, they made me laugh. I just said, uh, they're so goofy. I just love the Olympus. I, I, I'm going to put that out there. All, all the critical insight, we're going to go into them aside. These guys. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't give two shits, man. I love the Olympus. He's lately. just he's slapping the discussion towards me again. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, I, I don't care how much you're gonna shit on the Olympus. <laughs> I am not. I, I, am, I, I, I know you're. I know you're not. I know I'm you're gonna not gonna defend them. Yeah, and, damn right. <laughs> but uh, but yeah, no, I, I just love this movie. I, and I, I agree. Had a great time rewatching it. I, I agree. I mean, the, this is a childhood film. My mom had it on video cassette. Uh, she recorded it on television. I remember. And she used to play this uh, for me, and it. I've seen this movie uh, more times than I I, I can remember. I know yeah. it. I know it by heart. I know like everything that there is to know about that little. Just the viewing of the movie. I'm not saying like the historical sure. context around it, although I knew a little bit about that as well. I just really find this movie fun, and I'm finding it fun also from a child's perspective. Now I know that there's a lot of critics out there that are be like, "Well, there's a lot of heavy <laughs> messages," and da 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 da. Yeah. And you yeah. know what? Whatever. And we'll get into that a little bit later. And so, yeah, I think that when when watching this, I watched it again with the kids this week, and they really wanted me to put it on. We had to, to watch it in two parts because it was bedtime, sadly. And the first thing my youngest daughter asked me when she woke up, she's like, are we watching Willy Wonka tonight? And I was like, of course, baby, no problem. We'll sit down and watch Willy Wonka. And so it's sad that I don't have them with me right now because they're in school. But I would love uh, for them to be here and give me their uh, criticism of the movie, how they find it, uh, like seeing it through a child's eyes. Because we tend yeah. to look at these things now in a very, very skewed way because as adults – 
I don't know what it is. If we look for problems or we're trying to solve issues that we have, or I don't know what the fuck it is, but we take our emotions into these things when sometimes we just need to just take it in as opposed to just spewing out whatever we need to spew out. I mean, as an adult, I'm immediately thinking, you're poisoning your children. <laughs> exactly. I'm poisoning my children. That's exactly what it is. All right. So, so, all right. Let's, let's get into it. I'll say, I'll, I'll talk about what I want to talk about. And the bone that I have to pick is essentially with literary critics, literary yeah. critics and film critics. I, I studied both and sure. I, I studied film and I've studied books and, you know, I, I have my university degree. But sadly, what they're criticizing basically is that these are going to be looked on as products of their time. Yeah. The issues that they're dealing with now, I mean, look, we're talking about right now, right now in society, we're talking about race, we're talking about culture, gender, sexuality. These things are really big right now. And I really think that they're important topics of conversation, but I do think that certain critics are handling these discussions extremely poorly. They're not doing mm. a good job at getting to what they need to talk about. And if any of you critics out there hear this podcast, which I know you won't, <laughs> you'll most likely resort to calling me misinformed and naive. And all I have to say to that is, fuck you. Okay. Yay. That's a, that's a cheap shot. <laughs> Literary critics are just like anybody else. They need to promote their material. And if they can find something that is going to strike a nerve, then they're going to use it. So what I'm trying to get to is the colonial, uh, the post-colonial discourse that is used to dissect Every iteration of Dahl's book, to mm. me, is somewhat like beating a dead horse now, okay? I can't stand it anymore. Even when Dahl himself came out and said, shit, I'm so sorry I hadn't realized the implications of how I made my Oompa Loompas, you know? And he went out and corrected it as no, a result. He was like, but it's, it's weird. I mean, he was like, oh, motherfucker, you know? But even if if he did that, it wasn't good enough. This is where they're going to call me naive. doesn't matter. What critics seems to have gotten into now is the psychology behind Dahl's supposed Anglocentrism and how that speaks about the time in which he was writing and how his mind was manipulated by the society or culture in which he was living. Oh, give me a break. And I'm like, <laughs> I'm like, okay, but doesn't that apply to everyone? Yeah, including, <laughs> including that debate, or, you know, including that entire critical discourse, the idea yeah. that to immediately hone in on his, you know, cultural reappropriation nonsense. That's very of its time for a critical debate, you know? <laughs> exactly. And I mean, I understand what was going on at that period in time. His book came out in 1964. Uh, Stewart's film came out in 1971. He made the changes in 1973. So mm. right now, like in the United States and also in, in England, you know, you had all these big political climate changes and whatnot. So you had the war in Vietnam dealing with the United States. You also had the Black Panther movement. Uh, in the UK, I'm not necessarily familiar, but I know that there was a lot of uh, workforce uh, troubles at the time. So a lot of union yep. strikes and whatnot, uh, prices and gases were storing and gas, sorry, gas was soaring. And so a lot, there was a lot of shit going on. Mm -hmm. And so I sometimes think that these critics will take a specific thing and then make that the reason why shit is going on. Yeah, of course. You know, and so as much as I find the literary criticism rich, I find it great to read this stuff. I love to hear what these people have to say about this material, but I also find it stifling in a very, very peculiar way. I was yeah. reading some of the reactions just like in preparing for the, 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 the show today and some of the reactions to the analyses and, and people saying that like they, they having now understood the undertones that it changed their perspective on the film and hyperbolically 
like using intonating that it ruined their childhood now that oh, they know this no. i you hate know, that phrase <laughs> it's just it's just weird i mean I, I may come off as a hypocrite because i know that i endorse red letter media's interpretation of adam sandler movies right and now i'm kind of refusing to appropriate the same thing for for willy wonka but to me it's it's different in this case there I, are good morals and values in Wonka, and that's the difference. I think I think there's a there's a difference in questioning the idealism behind commercialism yeah. and you know reappropriating written stories to be think pieces or lack of thought pieces on social issues. I mean, you know, they're, 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 it's different angles. They they do touch upon each other, but I wouldn't say yeah. they're one for one. You know, in comparison to me, I I chose like after reading extensively because I studied. Dahl's book in university for um, a children's literature class that I was taking. And cool. it struck me as odd when I was, because I prefer watching the film than reading the book. The book to me is, is good, but I mean, the film builds on different themes that I kind of enjoy. Yeah. And what I thought was really interesting about the Umpas and Mel Stewart's decisions uh, with regard to the Umpas, making them orange and green, you know, like not having necessarily any ties to any race or, or, or gender in particular. Although you can, yeah. you visibly see that they're they're uh, dwarfs, um, and uh, that that uh, they're all men. The fun thing about the Umpas in the film is that the messages, the messages that are being told to the audience, do not come from the supposed white male authoritarian figure it actually comes from the umpus yeah and strangely if, any, enough, if anything he's aloof he's he's removed from the scenario entirely there you go and strangely enough we never hear that side of the story the umpus have good values and in my opinion they act as this classical greek chorus a troop that by definition are and i quote typically serving to formulate, express, and comment on the moral issue that is raised by the dramatic action or to express an emotion appropriate to each stage of the dramatic conflict. And it's true. That's like, that's just their entire purpose in this story. There you go. And if we choose to see the Umpas under that light, the classic Greek chorus, then they are a necessary commentary on the tragic nature of the society and culture they were brought into. Not that was enforced upon them, which yeah, is a very yeah. different way of looking at it. And Wonka may have seen those values in them and thought that by bringing them into the factory, they would contribute in creating a richer and more accepting world. Mm -hmm. And this is, again, where I'm going to be called naive by having a more positive outlook than, than yeah, the real... I wouldn't call that naive at all. I mean, the film is, uh, yes, a cynical film uh, in a lot of ways, particularly with the character of Willy Wonka, but I would say it is because of its outcome and the, the perspective it keeps with Charlie, it is an optimistic film. And yeah. the idea that these characters represent all these negative proportions when there are so many positive proportions they bring to the story, it right. it babbles me because neither is not neither are given any credence. You know, this is this is a very very straightforward film, very straightforward story, and the brevity with which dialogue they're given and the the brevity with which um, Willy Wonka even describes them. Yeah. leaves so much room for interpretation that they practically don't exist in the story as far as defined entities, unlike, you know, Charlie, who we, we know exactly who, where he comes from, who his family are, what context of life he lives in, what yeah. he wants to gain from the story. The Open Lupus are entirely detached above it all. Uh, they are given a somewhat expositional reason, but it's just as much nonsense as the rest of what Willy Wonka says. 
He always yeah, talks yeah. in imaginary tones and imaginary concepts. You know, he's always like the Snozberry. We don't we don't have a think piece about the fucking Snozberry about what the <laughs> fuck that is, what the, the implications of it, it the Dream Maker's fruit, you know, yeah. and what that what that says about corporate America. You know, exactly. yeah. <laughs> I, I get that there are definitely negative connotations in the imagery that you can pick apart. Oh, sure. Fair enough. Definitely in the novel. I'll give it to that. In the first iteration of the novel, they're they're clearly pygmies. Yeah. But it, nowhere in the novel does it say they were enslaved. That's yeah. the problem. Well, the, the film doesn't give any pretext about any of this. So it's really open game, which means, agreed, we can allow as much cynical debate as you want. You know, if you want to take it from the angle that they represent something pretty negative and pretty ugly about humanity, fair enough. You're open to your interpretation just as much as we are when it comes to positive inflection on the story. But at the same time, you have to admit that if we're reaching and we're naive, then you're reaching and you're naive. You know, that's that's the that's the longest short of it. I appreciate that. I think it's good, you know, because even if I am reaching and if I am naive, it's the way I choose to see it. And it's not me trying to play a trick, you know, a Jedi mind trick myself into believing that Willy Wonka has a larger message or anything like that. It's just that I yeah. I can push interpretations and directions I want to as well and get the outcome I want. So, exactly. I mean, it's really going to be us against them. I mean, I could probably build up the proof myself if I wanted to by just going and delving into some literary criticism, finding my things, writing a think piece on it, and then sending out into the world. And then there that is. My discourse has started as well with those people. What I really think that the issue is, and that most people aren't dealing with, that they should possibly deal with, it's what's actually there in the movie itself. Yeah. And what's in the movie, and if you're going to accuse Wonka, the film about being something, then attack it where it deserves to be attacked. It's a big ad for the Wonka bar, right? Yeah, that, yeah, it's that's definitely something. <laughs> it's, it's content, content's right there. All you, you want to tear that apart. It's oh right there. Oh my goodness. You know, and so like the director Mel Stewart knew a guy from Quaker Oats that were on the verge of actually putting out their own uh, chocolate bar. And so he struck a deal with, uh, with Quaker Oats for, I think it was, I think it was somewhere along the lines of $3 million. Jesus. And what he suggested is that Quaker changed the name of the chocolate bar that they had, which I don't know what it was, to the Wonka bar. And he was going to put the Wonka bar in the film and it would essentially help finance itself. And once the movie was a hit, then everyone's going to want Wonka bars. Great. Right? And so it's kind of funny <laughs> because you're, you're, you're literally pushing chocolate bars down kids' throats while telling them that eating like a glutton is bad for you. I mean, that's hypocrisy and it's, that's at its best. Yeah, it's finest. Me, it's yeah, it's beautiful. unbelievable. Yeah. But I don't know. I think like the movie itself for me personally is optimistic. I like Charlie. Charlie's an every boy. Obviously he's like, it's a rags to riches story. It's sure. basic. It's Cinderella with chocolate. Yeah, you know? that's it's it, much like and Cinderella. Cinderella was the was the idea of you know just devoting yourself, working hard, and being kind equals riches in some way. You know, you'll get your reward. Same to Charlie. He's just kind. He's he's thoughtful. Uh, he's imaginative, and he, he's uh, he's a child. He's innocent, and by embodying those, he gets rewarded. It's the same. You're, you're that's a good comparison to make. And you said it. You know, Charlie's a good kid. He's a sweet kid. You get attached to him, obviously. I mean, and if they decided to remake the movie today, then listen, put a black kid in there, you know? Oh, yeah. Put a, put a, a... More importantly, in this world, in, in this, in this year where we know so much about how horrible chocolate production is, 
don't make this story again. Okay. <laughs> Just leave it for a long while, because I don't know if you've seen any documentaries about what it takes to make chocolate in no, today's society. No, I haven't. Society, Sorry about that. No, I haven't. It's, 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 it's a pretty bad slave drive. Uh, it's, it's pretty clear cut as far okay. as it goes. Chocolate is, is one of the most corrupt industries. And, uh, well, there you go. That's, yeah, that's this where is I'm not, This is not the year, and this is not the decade for um, chocolate production positive stories, you know. We can yeah. tell stories about imagination without Charlie and the Chocolate Factory in the 70s. Sure. It was naive a little more. Fine. You know, I mean, but I mean, to me, I'm taking this movie in a direction that I was like, you know, I was preparing for it and I was like, okay, this is the time I'm going to get to get angry and it's going to be fun for me yeah. to just get it off my chest, you know, because I think that the man- main message in there is that parents, and this is the issue, parents, for the most part, are ignorant for having brought their children up with poor values. Yo, and yeah. that's why I think that it's an important lesson still today. And say what you will, but Grandpa Joe is a goddamn liar. Because <laughs> even he can't admit, he, even he can't admit that he and Charlie disobeyed. He oh, yells yeah. at Wonka. So that's he's true. also a flawed man. Say, like, people would say, oh, like, oh, he lost his job at the factory and whatnot. And I'm like, ah, fuck you. Charlie is better than that. Yeah, I know. I know you know what's really bad? I, like, I think that that scene would have been a little better had they not the the one line of dialogue they had before they entered that room said, "I don't understand yeah. why all these people keep breaking his breaking the rules and not listening to him." <laughs> then they do exactly that. Yeah, exactly. They it wasn't in the book. It felt jarring even when I was watching it for the for the umpteenth time, the oompa loompa time that I watched it this week, I was like, it still doesn't seem to fit. The, the movie literally stops because even when you, when they finish the fizzy lifting drink scene and they walk into uh, where Wonka is showing them the things, time has stopped. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's, Wonka that's is right. waiting for them They come them back and nobody them. even mentions it. <laughs> exactly. Uh, the, or their absence, you know, um, until the very end. You're, you're right. I mean, it was trying to create drama. I like I, Looking at that scene, I tried to think about what they might have been going for. And I was thinking about audience tension, that you know that if this is leading to the point where Charlie wants to get that lifetime supply of chocolate, right. and all these kids are breaking the rules, and he breaks the rules too, but seems to get away with it, you're waiting for the reveal, you know? And the audience is suddenly uncomfortable watching the story go forward, and they're a little more invested. I right. get what they were trying to go for, but I feel that the scene really under undersells Charlie's commitment to being the good kid, you know? And it feels that Wonka then, for some reason, pulls a 180 at the end, rather than actually support him. But I guess the reveal was worth it, you know? You mean when The he... reveal of the, of the, gives back the gum? But I think they could have made something of that just in itself, you know? I, I liked, um, like, Slugworth isn't even in the book as well, right? So it was created because the movie didn't have yeah. a villain. And so they inserted Slugworth in there, and the Everlasting Gobstopper is another one that's not there, which is a crea- candy they created also for for um, marketing purposes. Ooh. And so mass production, yeah. <laughs> there you go. And so when Charlie gives the Everlasting Gobstopper back, that's that's the clear defining moment because it was the one last thing. That's where Charlie's honesty comes in, and I think the message, even if it's the like the scene with the fizzy lifting drink, is jarring. And unnecessary. It is necessary in terms of narrative so that you can teach kids. It's, look, listen, you will make mistakes, but yeah. if you refuse to correct your mistakes, if you just choose to continue making mistakes, you'll, you'll, you'll pay the price for it. 
And then Charlie in the end, by showing that, listen, I know I did something wrong, but if this is my last thing, I'm going to give this back to you because I don't need to give this to Slugworth. I'm a good kid. And I know that if I take this on the outside, I'll be badgered for it. And I'd rather be in good graces with you than uh, than actually risk uh, having to deal with my guilt forever. Yeah, I agree. That's definitely the message that the film wants you to take away. Yeah. Uh, But unfortunately, the way they set it up, Oh. It looks it looks more like turn the other cheek. Yeah. You know? It looks like, you know, that fucking Jesus parable thing where, you know, somebody slaps you, give him the other cheek, let him slap you twice. You're you're the better man, fuck him. It gives so much against Charlie deserving this. By the time he gives back the sweep, we're not really sure what he means by the jester, other than he's lost faith. Okay. In, in Wonka, so like it, it feels like they went too far trying to make that message because that's a great message to teach, mm-hmm. and it's good that a lot of kids will walk away with that, you know, that they will like just be good anyway, you know. Don't worry about what adults. Adults are always pricks. That's Dal's deal, you know. He doesn't like adults. He likes kids. Right. So if you're a kid, fuck what the adults say. Fuck what they try to scare you into doing whatever the fuck they want. Just, just say fuck you just right. give them back their suite just continue being cool hmm. and you know maybe you'll convince a few along the way that you're you know you deserve money and and all the sweets yeah. <laughs> and you'll get your reward you know and fair enough i think it, it exists it's a good reading it's just that the film itself might go a little too far possibly and i mean it goes as far as to like even the setting the room in which wonka is found in at the end everything is kind of divided in two yeah, yeah. Right? So this idea of a separation, there is a missing piece. There is this, how can I put it? These two sides. Yeah, yeah. Right? And you need to have that whole. You, there is a part of you that's going to be honest and whole. Whereas this other part of you could be missing and you need to learn in order to complete whatever is needed as a human being, as a person with values and whatnot. And I thought that the setting itself kind of played into what you were doing, what you were saying. It might have gone a little bit too far. But yeah. I think instead of in the emotions that these characters are trying to communicate, I think that the setting in which this uh, conversation happens uh, speaks a little bit more to what you're discussing. The first shot when you get in, you know, uh, you see Grandpa Joe and you see Charlie come in. You're going to see a shot. There's going to be a, I think there's three shots that happen. One is a sink that's divided in half. That's right. Uh, the other one is going to be a safe that's divided in half, and then you'll have a clock, which is ticking only one way. Right? And I think that does speak a little bit as to how everything has been one-sided up until that point in the movie, mm. where everyone is really, they've been shown as bad and shown as bad and shown as bad, and parents have been bad and everything's been bad, you know? And it's kind of interesting because I think it also plays into how Gene Wilder actually played Willy Wonka. Yeah, that there is another side that hasn't been exploited yet, and that's this this idea of forgiveness, this idea that you can complete, you, you you can complete something by learning something, you will become whole again. Now, I'm not saying that the objects will magically become one, but Charlie, in putting the everlasting gobstopper, completes his circle. He did something that wasn't acceptable. We'll call it bad because, for the sake of being bad, he had the fizzy lifting drink. That is the part that is absent. But by giving the everlasting gobstopper back, he he clearly completes the journey. And then it becomes whole. It's not just one half anymore. He has become, he's shown that he is a whole and integral person that is capable of moral decisions that are either good or bad, and he will make up for it in the end. 
So I think that the setting really speaks to how Charlie will develop. Yeah, yeah, that's that's a really great way of saying it. I, I think that's a great interpretation of the the moral outcome for Charlie. I also add also something of Willy Wonka. I I, I love it's such a simple decision that I think also I mean I read it more as characterization of Willy Wonka, okay. uh, and I, I I thought it played more into the idea that all the adults are adults, you know, right. the, but. The thing that separates Willy Wonka from everybody is not just his imagination, but it's his connection to his, to his childlike wonder, you know? Right. That right. in itself, that's, I always saw the, the half imagery as he was only half an adult, you know? He was okay. only, he was only making the hard decisions. He was only being an asshole when he had to be because that's what adults do, but it was all a facade and everything. He's only half developed that way. He right. maintains the the imagination of the remainder of the sink, you know, the remainder of the clock. He doesn't need it there. He's got he's still got the childlike wonder to create the rest. Oh yeah, and, and you I've, know I, that's perfect. I I prefer your way of seeing it as well. Keep but going. that I I think that's just characterization. I mean, oh yeah, I I never applied it to the narrative, you know, and and to the morals being taught. And that's interesting. It works on so many levels of interpretation, uh, and I. I had never thought about those ones before, so that's and all that points out to me is that what a fucking great decision those fucking set designers made. <laughs> <laughs> but it's good because I mean, you, even you're saying like it was characterization in terms of Willy Wonka, but you could also interpret it that Charlie is the missing piece. Yeah, of course. Yeah, definitely. I mean, he's the whole imaginatory. He's the kid, you know. Right. He's he's, he's what the, Willy he's Wonka wants version. to be. It's it's what yeah. he realizes he can't be, no matter what age. Willy Wonka is, he feels that he's almost already done, that, you know, there's sort of this tragedy that he's, he can feel himself being too old to go on. And, you know, he's not an old guy, you know? In fact, he plays on the idea that people think he's an old guy at the yeah. very beginning with his introduction, but mm-hmm. he, he's not. He's clearly quite spry, quite fun, quite crazy, uh, in a, in a, in a childlike way. Right. But he feels he's losing that, or he's getting too bogged down in it. Uh, or, you know, that's, you know, he's, I, I would, I would choose to read that as he feels he's becoming more of an adult. Uh, and that he Quite can't man. keep going on running this imagine, imagination factory the way he wants to. So he needs a kid to do it. He needs somebody to be the next generation, somebody with, with grace and humility, uh, but also all the great important values of being a kid to take over. Oh, yeah. And that's what he sees in Charlie. So the missing piece is Charlie, but then, that's only because that's what Willy Wonka has, is gradually losing, you know, and that's what right. he sees. He finds, he's trying to find Charlie because he knows that he can't be Charlie forever, you know. Okay, so you're saying that Wonka is using Charlie as a horcrux? Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Through him he'll live on. <laughs> exactly, there you go. And, you know, that's something the, uh, the later adaptation does really painfully spell out is that it's about passing on the legacy more than it is about finding the right person to carry it on. It's mm-hmm. in the in the latter version they talk a little more about how the Wonka name must survive more than the actual inherent values of the company should survive. You know, yeah. Uh, so again, it's one of the many touchstone failings to grasp the point that uh, that that reiteration <laughs> that that, yeah. that brings to the table. <laughs> Absolutely. But that's it. I mean, and you just touched upon quickly, uh, like Gene Wilder and how he 
positions himself to be seen as an old man mm-hmm. like in his entrance into the movie and i remember um catching an interview with gene wilder uh who had sat down with mel stewart and explained to him how he wanted wonka to be introduced to the audience yeah and it was beautiful because he said that if if they didn't do what he wanted to do, then he would just walk out. <laughs> and that, that takes balls. I mean, and they knew that they needed Wilder to do it because he was the only guy that could pull this off. Definitely. And so he, it was his decision to say, okay, I'm going to come out. I'm going to be hobbling on a cane. And then after that, I'm going to fall into a somersault and I'll say, hello, welcome. And they were like, why the hell would you do that? And Wilder just simply answered because if i do that then they'll never know if i'm telling the truth yeah wow it will always be unexpected is he is he fucking with us is he not and it does go throughout the entire movie you never are quite sure of what the fuck he's up to that's what i mean that's exactly what i was saying about the fucking oompa loompa story there you go but let's pull away uh, let's just uh, let's kind of wrap it up with uh, some quick fire fun thoughts on the film. Uh, what do you think about the music? Well, listen, uh, pure imagination. You, you can't not like that fucking track. It's oh, amazing. It's beautiful. I mean, just that scene when they open the door. To me, that was um, when they open the door to the not the factory, but when they walk into the Candyland. Yeah. Uh-huh. That reminded me of when Dorothy opens the door and she's in Munchkinland. It has the same effect because it's it's almost the same pan. Yeah. Uh-huh. You know, they're just scanning over what the hell's going on, showing you the world. It looks bright, colorful. And I'm, I don't think that that's not what they were going for. I have a feeling that they were like, we want this. This worked before. Like that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. This worked before, you know, uh, 30 years prior. You know, so, yes, pure imagination. What a damn good song. Yeah. Gene Wilder, just the little choreography that he has, even if it's just going up and down the steps, you know, this idea of unpredictability again. Yeah, yeah. Taking, you know, and just whipping the fucking kid. Preventing the kids from getting past him and stuff until the point he lets them go. Uh, But it's it's teaching them a lesson. All comes to those who wait, you know, This, this, this idea that. Be patient. You will get it. And it's going to taste that much better when you get it. Yeah, it's true. It's Oh, it's perfect. And it's all without saying it. It's wonderful. Um, What about uh, I Want the World? (laughs) Oh, right. Veruca. Oh, Veruca. I love this song. It was a great song. It's a great performance. I mean, it's a horrible character, but it's so well done. Yeah. (laughs) She's she's really good in that role. I mean, all the kids are really good. Even Mike TV is great. And um, I mean, it's just that they they gave her a song. Yeah, which technically means that she was classically trained. And, and so I thought it was great. I want the world. I want the whole world. It's, it's it the anthem and, of spoiled children. I mean, it's perfect. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's great. He wants a golden goose. The father is a fucking pushover. Who's just constantly it's right, amazing. It's just weird because he hasn't understood yet that the more he feeds her greed, the more she's going to yell. <laughs> well, he finally got what he wanted. She went first. <laughs> yeah, he falls in not too long after, but that's it. And I love how the arrow just points to bad, like if she's a bad egg. Oh, uh, it's like, so okay, perfect. Cool. That that take the like, I want it now. <laughs> you know, like, exactly. the, the the immediate drop is uh, yeah. it's so perfect. Uh, I love the scene. It's it's the it's the perfect spoiled brat getting what they deserve scene. 
And, any, and, yeah. and the Oompa Loompa songs, of course. The Oompa Loompa songs are great. I think that, like I said earlier, the classical Greek chorus, I think they really do talk about the themes that are going on in these movies. I have yet to see since then songs that are as honest. <laughs> <laughs> in that dated 70s sort of sense, you mean. <laughs> oh, Jesus Christ. I mean, there's no, there's no metaphors. The message is fucking clear. That kid yeah. is fat. Not, you know, Eat, ungainly. Yeah, that kid is fat. <laughs> e- eating as much as an elephant eats. And you're like, all right, cool. He's Jeez. eating as much as an elephant. Okay, we're talking about that. All right. You know, I like I like the little things. It's kind of fun. You know, Gene Wilder interacting when they're going on the, the boat tour. And um, I forget what Blueberry Face's name is, you know. And she's Violet. Kind of Violet figure. Beauregard. Come on. <laughs> Violet Beauregard. Okay. Well, yeah, I like I Charlie's good. Mike TV is good. I associate it to those two in a weird way. And I had no Veruca, and I know uh, Augustus Gloop. I forgot Violet Beauregard. I'm very sorry. You should be. It's Moving in her on. name. You're turning Violet, Violet. Yeah, you're right. <laughs> but I didn't care about that. I, I, When I was watching it this last time, I was looking at it and going like, holy shit, they used a little bit of rotoscope and a blue light. Wow, that's kind of cool. Yeah. The, the, their hair color shouldn't have changed, though. But then you see the reflection on her bangs, and you're like, eh. It's a little cheap, but it works. That was good. I like when she's got her finger jammed in her nose and she's like, oh, spitting's a nasty habit. You know, and it's just there's a reaction shot of Gene Wilder, well, Wonka, just saying like, I know a worse one. And you're like, yeah, fuck yeah, man. That was great. <laughs> I, I think there's there's something to be said about how straightforward and boring the first two songs are, uh, okay. which are Cheer Up Charlie and I've Got a Golden Ticket. Yeah, okay. Yeah, you're right. They are forgettable. Yeah, that, uh, it kind of play, you know, I don't think they meant it that way, but it, it kind of fits. I mean, a lot of people do love them. I've got a golden ticket as one of those big anthems people always, you know, say, yeah, but. I just think that it, 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 the, the idea that Grandpa Joe gets up and walk, I get it. I get why it had to happen. And I just think that people were probably just more taken aback by the fact, like, oh, we've been watching this guy sitting around his fucking place. And now that he's got a golden ticket, he's motivated? What the fuck's that? <laughs> he's a liar, just like all adults. Exactly. He's just faking. He's a lazy ass. No, I'm kidding. But uh, <laughs> It's true. Yeah. But, yeah, I don't know. I, I don't understand how the golden ticket was, uh, you know. Again, literary criticism, we could basically tag Grandpa's looking for a free ride on Charlie's horse. <laughs> and uh, final thing I want to sort of talk about. How do you feel about the morals of the Oompa Loompa songs, specifically? The the morals are against uh, bad parenting, about greed, about chewing gum, and watching too much TV. I How do you think they, they hold up? They definitely <laughs> don't hold up, in my opinion. Those messages are clearly from that time. I do think that there is some validity to them. However, they don't hold up as well. Chewing gum... I don't know, I guess. Like, they's once in a while. Seems really specific. Yeah, once you know? in a while. But they've been. It's a bad habit, but I wouldn't make a whole song about it. Well, it's kind of it. weird coming from a candy factory. It's just like, okay, I think the message underneath that is like, if you chew gum, we'll sell less candy because you get one candy at a time and then you're going to finish your wrapper and then you'll have to have more candy. Which is fucking retarded because a gum lasts longer than candy and you're like, well, technically speaking, if we're looking at it from a financial perspective, it's to their advantage to chew gum. Then after that, the TV, um, I wasn't born in the 70s, so I don't know what kind of television they had that it was so bad. But I, it does sound like a message that was like, please continue reading books because books are so much better. <laughs> and To be fair, the, the fact that that song is in a movie... 
and it like the main line of it is a joke. It's like you don't get commercials. Yeah. Uh, I think they they had a lot more fun with that one. I don't think they really meant it, but I, I you know, I think there was there's a little uh, wink and a nudge to those who can benefit from just divvying up their time a little better. But uh, I I agree. Obviously, it's a bit of a stilted, weird message to make. <laughs> uh, it's the it's the only song in the entire movie that has production value. You know, <laughs> cameras actually moving around. They're on a soundstage. Obviously, it's a soundstage for the rest of it as well. But the soundstage, like a completely white background. There's a choreography. The yeah. Oompa Loompas are dancing around. It's... You know. Guy's trying to do a somersault it's, or whatever it's, it's, it's a total stop in the film, and then it actually fades out afterwards yeah. as well. You know, it fades to white. So, I yeah. mean, it's it's really set apart. It's it's it's, it's very funny. that It's like a, a very early music video. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely, yeah. Because if you watch the first one, when they start singing, when Augustus falls into the lake of chocolate. And they're just there. Uh, the river, chocolate river. They're just yeah, there. It's, it's, it's one just their shot. scene, yeah. <laughs> and the, the camera doesn't even move. It doesn't pan anywhere. I think there's just a, uh, the camera, uh, maybe. Yeah, there's a couple of cuts. Yeah, there's a cut there where the, the angles are close. There's just a bit of a close-up, you know, but it goes right back into an establishing shot where you're like, okay. <laughs> the one with the pilot uh, is also, again, it's almost a one long shot with, I think, one cut in the middle. Yeah. To a guy sort of singing at the side, and then he joins the circle, and then they just continue the one long cut. But there's no (laughs) camera moves or anything like that. It's just cuts from one place to the other, whereas the one with Mike TV is essentially... It's an overhead camera, and all it starts on. Camera travels forward, it travels back at one point, because they're following the numbers. There's a cut to make them seem as though they've walked across the camera, you know. So it's kind of, it, it's an interesting, it's a music video. You're right. You're absolutely right. It's super fun. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, I don't know. I kind of want to get to, I mean, we've said enough about Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. I like, I like this movie. Uh, I can't say that I, I love it. I mean, uh, even watching it again, I was like, I've seen this movie too many times. Uh, wow. And yeah. I'm, I've, I bought the Blu-ray when it came out, you know, I think it was for the 40th anniversary, and I'm really happy. I, I wanted to get the big box set, but then I decided, you know what, I don't feel like shelling out 100 bucks on Willy Wonka. I'll just pay the, the 25 for for the sure. Blu-ray, and it looks great on Blu-ray. It's stellar. And But I also wanted to talk briefly about, you know, just the, the, the little things about Willy Wonka and popular culture. Now, and I love how Marilyn Manson had that music video called Dope Hat. And it's actually, it's actually like from an aptly named album. Anyway, for today's stance on what I was talking, it's called Portrait of an American Family. That's the name of the album. And he basically, oh this was released in 1994. And the music video Dope Hat is essentially the boat ride through the weird, like the weird instance, like in Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory, where Gene Wilder is just going crazy. Yeah. And it's yeah. just an entire Marilyn Manson music video, Dope Hat, dedicated to Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. And it's one of the funniest, most fucked up things that you can watch. But it's a great track. I mean, I, I've always been a hardcore defender of Marilyn Manson. Fair and, enough. Um, yeah, so if anybody hasn't seen that music video, Dope Hat, I mean, it's if you like Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory, this one is a scary iteration about it. Fair enough. Can't say I've seen it, but I'm interested. And uh, the <laughs> other one that I thought was funny that I wanted to bring up is just Louis C.K., uh, I think he, I don't remember which show this was at. It might have been the one live at Madison Square Gardens. I'm not 100% sure on it. Uh, or no, I think it's live at the Beacon Theater. And he does a a bit called Willy Wonka for perverts, 
which is fantastic, where he decides that when he dies, he wants to be given to a place that ha yeah, that has yet to be invented, where people can come to do whatever they want to his dead body sexually. <laughs> and he, he he says he wants to be the Willy Wonka for perverts, and he just starts the song, and he goes, "You can come on my back and pretend that I'm your father. I don't mind. <laughs> I am dead." You know, you're like, <laughs> and you're like, okay, fuck, so man. It's just odd because then he starts to dance as though he was Gene Wilder, just for the pure imagination. Song. That was really really cool. That's ridiculous. Uh, I've never, again, never heard of that either, but good. I'm glad that Willy Wonka can be remembered so fondly in public, uh, in pop culture. Okay, so what am I going to do with my body? I'm going to die, and uh, I, I got to tell people what to do with my remains. And I have an idea for something to do with my body, or for other people to do with it, that will do good in the world. And it doesn't exist yet as like an institution, but I'm going to create it, starting with my body. And what it is, it's a place where you can go and be with a dead body. And you just do whatever you want. And the point of this is that there are people out there who have sexual compulsions and they can't control them. And so they go and they bother alive people. And this, you get it out of your system. This is the deal. You go in the room, there's nobody else with you. You got 90 minutes. You just do whatever you want. Whatever it is. Shit in my mouth. You, you want to... Stick my toe in your pussy, piss on my face. Whatever is the thing you gotta do. Jack off with the cartilage of my ear. That, whatever is your heart's desire. I want, I want to be the Willy Wonka for purpose. I want... You can come on my back and pretend that I'm your father. I am dead, I don't mind. Yeah, there are definitely a lot of references in pop culture today. Uh, those are two that I just wanted to point out that are kind of fun. Uh, you came prepared. I, I have nothing. I, I'm right. sure. Yeah. I sure remember bits from like Futurama and The Simpsons, but I couldn't tell oh, you yeah. offhand what they were. Definitely, <laughs> yeah. Definitely. yeah, yeah, yeah. So anyway, let's uh, like final verdict. What, what would be your overall score if you were to grade Willy Wonka on a chocolate factory? I would say I would I would give it an A. Okay. Uh, I wouldn't go for I wouldn't spring for A plus. Uh, because the story does have notable flaws. Oh, yeah. Uh, some of the production doesn't really make a lot of sense. But, uh, the actual, I, I love the brevity of the film. I love the brevity of the writing. And I love its focus on interpretation and imagination. You know, the story gives you a lot of the tools to make of it what you wish. Uh, which is what ultimately leads to people making, uh, you know, pretty negative interpretations of it, fair enough, but also positive ones and the fun ones. Uh, ultimately, as a kid, I loved it. I didn't see anything wrong with it then at the time. Uh, as an adult, I see what people mean. I don't think... I, I, it never affected me that the way they fear it would, so uh, immediately I'll be like, oh, well, whatever. But, uh, I, you know, I, I watched it again, only this week. Mm -hmm. And it instilled in me the same sort of joy. I giggled the entire way through. Uh, I started picking up more of the jokes I never got when I was younger. Uh, the performances are great. Uh, the music is great. The setting is fantastic. It's really of its time, but at the same time, it wouldn't be as good if it were made at any other time. Right. Uh, I just love it. But uh, again, acknowledging that it has flaws, I think it is definitely worthy of everyone's praise for it. It is a wonderful film. Yeah, I think it's a wonderful film as well. I won't go as high as you. I'd give it a 3.5 on 5 from my scale. So that would be the equivalent of 
entertaining. On this this rewatch, I kind of was a little bit bored. I thought it was fun. And it's just, the boredom doesn't come from the fact that I don't like the picture. It's just that I've seen it so many times now that I kind of sure. know every beat. I know every crease. I know what's going to happen and all that stuff. So I'm, I'm kind of getting a little bit tired of it. So it was entertaining for what it was. You know, I think that maybe looking at it from a critical perspective might be a little bit more fun for me now. Um, sure. But that being said, to all the literary critics that are out there, Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory is not Griffith's Birth of a Nation. So stop trying to make it out to be. Okay? <laughs> it is definitely a little bit more lighthearted than you're trying to do. Perfect. So 3.5 on 5 is my final verdict for Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. It was a fun to revisit it. If I don't see it for the next five years, I'll be fine. It's sad that we lost Wilder. I know that he was a very private person. I mm -hmm. had no idea about his condition. It's a very sad one. And, but I, I kind of respect the fact that he, uh, he wanted it to be him. It's his things, his family. And so the fact that they respected that not to get out into the public and have people just constantly talking about that instead of remembering him for what he was, his great work and all that. So, yeah, I rewatching this. The only reason I would is to rewatch Gene Wilder because he was an exceptional talent. And Willy Wonka, as we stated earlier, is probably the performance that Wilder was able to give that is flawless in my opinion yeah yeah no it's perfect note for note from start to finish definitely cool and so that wraps it up for about for this week my name is jason michael you can find me at film faculty on twitter uh, i also have uh, my reviews that are up i want to thank uh, lee again for sitting through this uh, and letting me just go on a tirade it was great i loved it <laughs> where, where can we find you dear sir i am at on twitter i am at big pick reviews and uh my website with my several wonderful co-writers uh, is bigpicturereviews.co.uk so you can check us out there awesome that's it and I want to give a shout out again to uh, Uche or Uche oh, thank man. you so much for, uh, for uh, next week in. we'll know your we'll, we'll know the pronunciation of your name so if we were wrong yeah we could correct ourselves. We will correct there you ourselves. Go. Two mentions. Exactly. <laughs> I want to thank also David Hart. Check out his podcast at the Pop Culture Case Study and Miss Ashley Davis, uh, who's going to be writing for Film Faculty soon. Again, thank you so much, you guys, for uh, contributing. It's going to be wonderful. And I read uh, uh, I read David's latest piece. Sully. Uh, yeah, on Sully, and it was it was great. So it's it's great to see a lot of more content coming out of Film Faculty. Yeah, it's going to be good, and that's it. So that's it for us this week. Thank you very much for listening. This was Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. Take care. Have a good night. Thanks. Bye. Bye. Hold your breath. Make a wish. Count to three. Come with me and you'll be in a world of pure imagination. Take a look and you'll see into your imagination. We'll begin with a spin Traveling in the world of my creation What we'll see will defy Explanation If you want to view paradise Simply look around and view it Anything you want to do it 
want to change the world There's nothing to it I know to compare with pure imagination Living there you'll be free If you truly wish to be Conversation can serve no purpose anymore. Goodbye.